0: sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.
1: This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this June 24th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day, the week, the month, whatever it is. From a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down, our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com where you can find all of our past podcasts and radio shows for the last several years as well as all of my columns that I write for Mediate and as well as a bunch of other stuff. So check that out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast, but this uh, seems like it's going to be a really good one. In fact, uh, we've done uh, three hours for this podcast. We've got hour number two, an interview with a former Republican Congressman and current talk show host Joe Walsh, which was really fantastic and absolutely worth your time and worth you sharing on social media. And then, as a special bonus, and I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but This blew my socks off. I think it might yours as well. Uh, Hour number three, we did an interview with a guy by the name of Paul Campos, who's a law professor at the University of Colorado. But he's the guy who has written two incredibly compelling columns slash articles or I don't know what you would call them. They're basically theories that he's written up for New York Magazine regarding what he thinks is the real story and maybe the biggest scandal – of the entire Trump presidency involving Trump having a Republican fundraiser cover up his affair and abortion with a Playboy model that occurred during his presidency and which facilitated the change of American policy towards Qatar in a way that allowed this guy to benefit to the tune of millions of dollars from the United Arab Emirates. Elliot Brody is his name. I've talked about that story in the past, written about it, but we get real deep. A deep, 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 deep dive, and it is amazing stuff in hour number three. So make sure you uh, check that out and share it as well. Lots of news, of course, in this hour number one, our news review hour. Most of the news over the last week or so has been about the controversy involving the Trump administration's policy of family separation at the border. I felt that most of that media coverage was way overblown, uh, incredibly biased and distorted. I said this on social media, even though I'm obviously not a Trump supporter. I did not think that they were being fair to Trump. Uh, And what I was fascinated by was that in the first part of the controversy where the Trump people, of course, they never want to apologize Uh, You know, that's never surrender, never apologize, which is a philosophy that works well for them. They were defending the policy and they were defending it basically on three on three basic points. Number one was, hey, look, uh, the Obama administration basically did the same thing and no one cared. So you media people are a bunch of frickin hypocrites, which, of course, they are uh, because you didn't say boo When this happened under Obama, but now you're you're all in a tizzy because it happened under Trump. That was their first line of defense, which was accurate and a pretty decent argument. Number two was the argument that, and this was made mostly by Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, that, hey, look, um, the reason why we're separating the families at the border is because we want to create a disincentive for people not only to come here illegally, but also come here illegally in the most dangerous fashion possible, which is an important point of all this. And in theory, this gave the Trump administration some sort of moral high ground. I don't think they articulated it particularly well. But there is a lot to be said for the idea that if people coming here, migrants from Central America, Mexico, what have you, know that when they get to the border, not only are they going to be detained, but they're going to be separated from their children, right? That might dissuade them from making the trip. And it would certainly dissuade them from making the trip in a way that was the most dangerous possible because the policy was not to do family separation at a point of entry, which would be theoretically safer rather than, Going across the desert in the middle of summer, so that argument I thought had some validity too. And then the third argument, which was always just out and out, just flat, it was just flat out ridiculous, uh, was that Trump had no power to fix this. Right, this was not his deal. Uh, it wasn't even really his policy, I guess. I don't know how you're not responsible for your own policy, but you know, Trump can do whatever he wants, at least in the minds of Cold Forty Five. But the idea was that, uh, hey, look, this was a Democratic deal. We're going to blame the Democrats (laughs) who don't have power over anything right now. Uh, And they're the ones that did this. And I can't do anything about it. Now, that was a lousy argument, but I guess it was intended to appeal to Fox News Channel and talk radio where it's, you know, Democrat bad, Republican good. You know, it's the caveman view of reality. And uh, so maybe they thought that was going to work. Well, then, of course, the media, or in the process of all this, the media was bombarding, bombarding Trump with negative coverage. And I have said for years now, back in the primaries, that the greatest thing that Trump has for him in his ability to manipulate the media is that trying to go after him is like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, the the whack-a-mole game? where you know, you, you try to, the head pops up and you try to knock it down, the arcade game. And by the time you get to one head, there's another head that's popped up, and now you're trying to knock down that whack-a-mole. Well, that's what the deal is with Trump. He's got so many stories to talk about, so many scandals, that each one is like a whack-a-mole. And the media needs to understand, you can't get distracted. You must focus on the one whack-a-mole, all right? Whacking that one mole. And they love this story because it appeals to their virtue signaling and their political correctness and their liberal ideology on the open border and us not cracking down on illegal immigration, not enforcing our immigration laws. So this appealed to them in a lot of different ways. And of course, it also provided crying children. So, the crying children was what put it over the top cuz now you got content that's compelling you got stay-at-home moms that are interested and nothing really else happened in fact i was surprised in the midst of this that trump you know didn't pardon o j simpson or something not that o j could be pardoned cuz he wasn't convicted of anything oh, actually he, he wasn't convicted of any federal crime he wasn't A state crime in Nevada. But anyway, my point is, I was surprised that Trump didn't do something crazy on the pardon front just to distract the hell out of the media. But this was a a proof of my thesis that that's how, if you want to get Trump, you've got to pick one thing and you must not let go of it because it takes a long time in this era for any story to sink in and have an impact. Well, this one had an impact because Trump caved. Trump melted. Trump melted like a soft candle in a blast furnace. He curled up into the fetal position and said, uncle. And those three things I told you about, he discredited himself on all three. Number one, let's see if, if Obama did it. And now you're saying that was too harsh for you. On illegal immigration and now you what you're effectively saying is I'm to the left of Barack Obama on illegal immigration enforcement that's what Trump said there's no spinning that because the argument was Obama did this no one cared so it's okay now you're saying it's not okay we have to be nicer to these illegal immigrants we can't separate them at the border even for point number two which is deterrence So point number two, Trump was effectively saying, I don't believe in deterrence. I'm not a tough guy. Deterrence is a bad policy. Well, deterrence is at the essence of everything conservatives believe in. That's what we believe in with regard to foreign policy. We believe in the way human behavior works is that you deter bad behavior. Well, not Trump. Now he abandoned that. Because after all, it took more than a couple of days for the media to get off of the crying children. And then there's number three about how Trump couldn't do anything about this because this was a Democratic policy. Well, he signed this bullshit executive order to try to put a Band-Aid on it. Guess what he did? In a rational world, what he was doing there was admitting, I'm a fucking liar because I just told you a couple of days I couldn't do anything about this. And then guess what? I did something about it, although I didn't do anything that's really all that effective because all I did was stop the policy. I didn't figure out a way to reunite the 2,000 kids that have already been separated, and it's not like this story is just going to go away. But as I wrote in Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, to me, the worst element of all this was what Trump did in not just betraying his base. I love the poorly educated. These are people who, you know, a lot of them were attracted to his candidacy, in 2016 because of his rhetoric, it was all bullshit, on illegal immigration. He didn't just betray these people. He betrayed the issue in a massive way. And Joe Walsh and I talk about this now, we're number two, and Joe wholeheartedly agrees with me, and he's probably more of a border hawk than I am. He's way more of a border hawk than Donald Trump is. But here's what the reality is. We already have immigration laws that if we just decided to enforce them, in theory, well, it'll take a while, could fix the problem. We're unwilling to do that. Why? Because we're afraid. Why? Because of media coverage. Because in order to enforce our laws, we'd have to have massive deportation forces. Remember, that was promised to us, by the way, by Donald Trump. He promised massive deportation forces. There's been no sign of that. He promised a wall, no sign of that. By the way, have there been a wall, it's important to point out, had there been a wall, or even the starting of a wall, or even the th- Theoretical reality of a, a wall, we wouldn't have needed this policy of separation because they wouldn't be able to get in here. Or at least they wouldn't be coming because they'd be thinking, oh, there's a wall. So that's important to point out. But in the bigger picture, the reason why we don't enforce our immigration laws is because it's politically incorrect. There's too much of a political price. They don't want pictures of children being taken out of their homes and crying. Or in this case, they don't want children crying at the border when their mommy has supposedly been taken away, even if their mommy wasn't taken away, like with the the Time magazine cover. So what Trump has done is he has forever set the precedent and effectively codified into social law that we are not allowed to enforce our immigration laws. Why? How did he do that? Because let's do the logic, folks. When you're Donald frickin' Trump and you got elected on the issue of enforcing the laws against illegal immigration and you're Mr. Politically Incorrect, you're Mr. Anti-Establishment, you're Mr. I-don't-give-a-shit, I'll do whatever I think is right for the country, make America great again, baby, and you say, "Up, oh, sorry, I can't take the children crying. I'm going to cave And I'm going to give in on the policy. Guess what you've done? You've now made it literally impossible for anyone else to do it in the future. Not that anyone else would be in a position because we're not going to have another Donald Trump, for better or for worse, uh, on the issue of illegal immigration because the country is moving in the other direction, both demographically and philosophically. But the reality is it's now impossible because even Trump caved. So nobody in the future is ever going to have the balls to say, I don't care how many kids are crying. I don't care how bad the video is. I don't care how bad it looks. How many people are protesting. I don't care. We're going to do it. It's never going to happen now. And it's because of Donald Trump. It's because of Donald Trump. And I've, I warned about this. I said, he is going to do damage to the very causes that his followers think he's going to champion. Because you don't go into a war that you can't win with a general who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's making it up as he goes and not. Because if you lose, you're in a worse position than you were to begin with. So you better be ready to fight and at least. Hold your ground, because if you give up the ground, you can't ever get it back. Well, Trump gave up the ground, got nothing in return, zero. This wasn't part of some sort of compromise in a larger bill that he got through Congress or he got wall funding or whatever. He He got nothing for the cause. All he did was stopped negative media coverage of him. That's all he cares about, which is probably my number one or two, depending on how much he's lying on that particular day. Objection to him. If he was using, you know, tactics I didn't like for the purpose of creating results for the country, I would be, I wouldn't be thrilled I'd be okay with that. I'd be kind, that would be kind of like the Oakland Raider philosophy of just win baby, right? Doesn't matter how you get it done, just get her done. All right. Just win baby. I I I can relate to the just win baby philosophy. Life is not perfect. Sometimes you gotta break a few eggshells, all right? The make scrambled eggs. So the, the I, I'm get I get that, but that's not what Trump does. Trump breaks the rules and lies and does all sorts of things not for the country for himself that's what it's what the motivation is it's always about himself and he he doesn't care what he has to give up with regard to the country or the future or our principles or our ability to handle future problems as an example by the way you know, he's trying to destroy our faith in our intelligence agencies. Why? Not because our intelligence agencies don't, don't deserve our faith. It's because he wants to be able to survive the Mueller investigation for himself. But guess what? There's a price to that. Because at a certain point, we're going to need faith in our intelligence agencies. And he's destroyed that. Why? Not for the good of the country. Not to make America great again. But for himself. All right. That's it's always about him. And that's what he did on immigration. He caved to protect himself. Again, check out the column at freespeechbroadcasting.com. I mentioned the Time magazine cover. And yeah, this is classic media. Truth doesn't really matter. It's just the essence of truth. Right. So they put this uh, Hispanic child on the cover of Time with Mm -hmm. Trump supposedly there with the child, and the child's crying, and it turns out, according to the father, that the child never actually was separated from her mom, or his I think it was a daughter, but I could be wrong. Anyway, the the child was never separated from their mom. Now, conservatives, of course, are making a big deal about this, as if somehow this discredits the whole issue. No, no, No one's saying that children weren't separated. I mean, after all, Trump himself admitted to it and changed the policy. So it's not like This was the reason why the controversy began. It's why it exploded, because of the the children crying. But the reality of this was not changed one iota by what Time Magazine did. And I wasn't surprised at all. This, This stuff happens all the time. doesn't make it right. But the media is so in love with their feelings, with their virtue signaling, and so in love with a narrative that facts and details don't mean shit to them. But in their defense, at least they acknowledge reality. It's something Trump never does. At least they admitted to it. And this has happened constantly where the media overplays their hand, they make a mistake, but they admit to it. They apologize. That's the way the world works. Is it would it be better if it didn't happen? Sure, but it's still way better than what Trump does and somehow the Trump fans the cult 45 out there they somehow think that there is an equivalence or maybe that even somehow this totally erases all of Trump's mistakes on the issue I love the poorly educated which is you know it's just it's just flat out ridiculous we know that but that's because we're logical people who believe in facts which unfortunately is an increasingly rare phenomenon in this day and age. Uh, one other element of this whole uh, immigration, child separation policy that was in any other presidency, and it got a lot of publicity, but in any other presidency, this would be all we would be talking about for weeks, <laughs> is that Melania Trump went down to go check out what was going on, out of the blue, kind of unannounced, surprise visit, which was great, fine. She wants to check out what's happening. I suppose I think her spokesperson said she wanted to find out what was true, what was real. Good, good for her. And as she's leaving, she's wearing a jacket. Now, the first thing about the jacket is it doesn't remotely fit with what a first lady would wear. Forget about what it said on the back. It's just not the style that a first lady would ever wear. And it's not the style that... A, a woman like Milani would be wearing normally like if she wasn't first lady so the, the it looks like a jacket of a teenager in fact I think that's what it's marketed for it's like for teenagers and on the back of this green jacket it says I don't care do you now what what sir what I, I, what? Ser- what? I, I, I mean I'm speechless. And of course, people are automatically and understandably trying to discern some sort of meaning. Okay. What does, what does she mean? I don't care. to do you, what, 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 what does that mean? And she's on a plane. So they ask her spokesperson and the spokesperson says ridiculously that, um, there is nothing to be uh, read into her wardrobe, and then people should be focused on the real issues, and there was no meaning to this. Well, if that's the case, I mean, I'm always open to that, to the possibility that we're not being lied to, especially with Melania, who doesn't appear to be a particularly sophisticated person. But that's what's interesting. See, now, Melania, to me, is now becoming an interesting figure. I've never been interested in her at all. <laughs> Other than you know her nude photos, those those were interesting. But the uh, I've never been interested in her as a as a personality, but now I am because I can't figure out is she a complete imbecile or is she a genius? Because there's really no in between, and you can make a decent argument for both. The imbecile argument is she's just so fucking dumb. That she wore this jacket not thinking that anyone would even bother to read the back of it or that they would interpret her saying, I don't care, as having any larger meaning. Now, that seems improbable, but it is possible that she could be that dumb and that no one around her has the balls to say, hey, Melania, this seems like a bad idea. So there is that interpretation that she's just an idiot. But then, and this was amazing to me, even in, in the realm of Trump, where we're so desensitized. So the spokesperson for Melania comes out and says, no meaning to this. Then Trump, the president of the United States, tweets not long after that there was a meaning to what Melania wore on the back of her jacket, that it was a statement about the fake news media. Which, I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. That, that that makes absolutely no sense, and it's coming from Trump, so I presume it to be bullshit. But more importantly than all that, we have the President of the United States publicly saying, effectively, that the First Lady's press secretary is a liar. And this creates No real major news story. (laughs) I mean, there's to me, uh, my God, people should be camping out at both the First Lady's office and the White House trying to get an explanation for this. Wait a minute, Mr. President, are you calling the First Lady spokesperson a liar, which effectively means you're calling the First Lady a liar, since we know the spokesperson only made that statement after speaking to Melania, right, in the logical world. So are you calling Melania a liar? And what about from Melania's perspective? Is that true? Then why did your spokesperson lie? What, what's your statement about the news media? To my knowledge, there's been no follow-up on this, but we got other whack-a-moles to hit, I guess. But that's that's the insanity of the world we're now living in. And on the genius side of Melania, and, and frankly, I think this is why Melania's approval ratings are actually really good. Because she's kind of like an empty vessel that you can just make whatever you want her to be. Like the pro-Trump people think she's awesome because she's hot and because she's Trump's wife. So she's awesome. The anti-Trump people think she's awesome because they see everything she does as like a very subtle dig at Trump. Like that she's like this captured. She's like, she's like a princess captured in the top of the castle and she can't come out, but she's trying to send smoke signals and she's, she's wearing this jacket when I don't care. (laughs) And, and people, it's not impossible to think that that's plausible. So is she a genius or is she an imbecile? I don't know. But but she's benefiting from people presuming that she's one or the other and whatever it is that she want, they want her to be. Is she pro-Trump? Is she anti-Trump? Is she dumb? Is she smart? I always, I'm an Oxum's razor person. And this, let's be clear, this is a woman whose first major speech was blatantly plagiarized from not just another person, not just another first lady, <laughs> but from Michelle freaking Obama, and it wasn't close. It was not close at the Republican convention. So for that to happen, I guess you could argue maybe that was the most subtle dig possible, that she's actually on the other side, that she's going to quote Michelle Obama. I don't know, because it's your first big appearance, that would take that would take brass fucking balls right there to to, to decide to destroy yourself uh, in an effort to create that subtle a message. I'm more in the she's an imbecile. Uh, you know, let's be let's face it. She gets a lot of benefit of the doubt because she doesn't really speak English, right? So we presume that that's the reason why she sounds dumb. And she but let's let's be clear. She spent her whole life as a model. All right. She's not a rocket scientist, uh, and she's given no indication that she's super smart. I'm open to the idea that she might be way smarter than since she appears to be. Plus, she's married to Donald Trump, right? So she's got a bunch of strikes against her right off the bat with regard to her intelligence. I'm going to go, until further notice, with she's an imbecile. That that's what I think is the most. Although I'm not I'm not married to or invested in, in that uh, theory, but that to me, gun to my head, I'm going with imbecile. I think that's what's going on with Melania Trump. Um, another thing that occurred since the last time we spoke is the Korean, the North Korean summit uh, with Kim Jong Un. Isn't it amazing that only happened a couple weeks ago, folks? And it seems like it was uh, several months ago. Uh, I wrote a column for media. Again, you can see it at freespeechbroadcasting.com, where I forecasted the summit, and I said it's going to be a disaster because uh, Trump, and this is similar to the theory I already put out there about how Trump sells us down the river for himself, doesn't care about the future, that Trump was way too eager for some sort of a deal. And that Trump doesn't care about what he gives up principle-wise because some other president's going to have to worry about that, not him. So that, combined with the fact that the G7 was such a disaster, put him in a very vulnerable position where now he couldn't allow the Kim Jong Un meeting to blow up. So now he was way too eager. He's basically like a virgin boy on prom night, and he's going to do whatever he whatever it takes. Uh, he's never going to tell the girl anything negative. And Kim Jong-un kicked his ass. Kim Jong-un got everything he could have possibly wanted from a perception standpoint. And perception is virtually everything in this, in this realm. Kim Jong-un won worse than I ever could have imagined. And speaking of things that don't have nearly the shelf life that they used to, Republicans talked about Barack Obama bowing to Saudi princes For years, for years, the picture, the video of Donald Trump saluting North Korean military uh, lasted a couple of hours. Saluting. Now, he did it by accident because he's a buffoon, but he saluted. I I mean, that was just one of many photos that are tremendous propaganda for North Korea and Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un gave up nothing. Nothing and got everything he wanted in return because Donald Trump is the opposite of everything he says he is. He is not a great deal maker. He is a terrible deal maker. And worst of all, he's making deals with our stuff. And and by the way, there's some important stuff that got given away here. Important principles that are going to make the job of any future president, any future secretary of state Way more difficult. It's kind of like Trump is selling the crown jewels for his own for his own benefit. That's basically what he's doing. And what I mean by the crown jewels, I'm talking about like principles and standards that have been built up over American diplomacy and military victories for generations. All that. Gets built up into leverage and stature, and he's selling those crown jewels away all because he wants a little bit of love in the in the like near term. Forget about even getting a decent deal. So these are things that are going to haunt us for a very long time. But of course, Trump is smart enough to realize he's never really going to get blamed for it because he won't be around when that happens. All right, I wrote um another column partially in response to the disaster that was the Kim Jong-un summit, where I go into great detail about how, for the first time in my life, this November, I will be voting for Democrats for Congress. And I actually live in a swing district here in California, so it's not... I mean, the Diane Feinstein isn't going to matter because she's running against another Democrat. But uh, my congressional seat is a swing district. And I have never... Voted for a Democrat on a federal office in my entire life, and I don't like our Democrat. I think I, I, I think she. I think, by the way, I think she's probably a lesbian. <laughs> not sure about that, but she certainly gives off a lesbian vibe, and she's no, no real moderate. Uh, but I will, I'll be voting for her. Uh, by the way, the Republican candidate I'm not real thrilled with anyway, so it'll make it easier. But the point, the point of this is. I'm also going to be rooting for Democrats to take the House, which I can't believe I'm doing. Uh, I told my good friend, Democratic Congressman John Yarmuth, this. <laughs> he took quite a bit of pleasure in, in the irony of that and also just the, the absurdity of it. Like, the, how in the world did this could possibly have happened? I mean, I am somebody who has been a Republican since I was nine years old. I remember the exact moment. I was watching the, the 1976 convention concession speech of Ronald Reagan. I didn't know hardly anything about Ronald Reagan, but I knew my mother loved him. And during his concession speech, I saw my mother cry. I don't remember my mother crying at any other time in my entire childhood. Maybe of any, I can't immediately recall any other time her crying. But when Ronald Reagan conceded in 1976, she cried. From then on, I was a Republican, a Reagan Republican. But... And as I explained in this column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, I've now reached the breaking point. There are just too many things together. Trump must be checked. He must be stopped. The Republican Party must be punished. The Republican Party must be destroyed in order for there to be any chance for it to be rebuilt. As painful as that will be, especially with Nancy Pelosi being at the helm, it must be done because the alternative is actually worse. There are no good alternatives here. Interestingly, I do think this is coincidental, although some people don't think it is. There have been several much more high-profile people than me who have come to the same conclusion since I wrote that column for media. Steve Schmidt, although, frankly, I thought Steve Schmidt had already done this. Felt like a rerun on Steve Schmidt's part since he's an MSNBC guy. But more importantly, George Will wrote almost exactly the same column I did for the Washington Post. And when you're you know, when George Will is following your lead, quote unquote, you're doing something right. Uh, Matt Lewis from the Daily Beast has actually written an article about all the people who have come to the same conclusion that uh, that I have on this issue of whether or not Democrats should win the House of Representatives in November. I wrote, also wrote a column about how it is that the Democrats might blow this because they are really bad at politics. Uh, and you can check that one out as well at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Since the last time we spoke, uh, Charles Krauthammer, the tremendous conservative columnist and Fox News commentator, passed away just as he predicted that he would. And uh, this was sad on on many levels. He, he lived an extraordinary life. And to me, if, you, uh, if you're going to go earlier than you should, at least knowing that you're going to go is a hell of a benefit. I mean, my mother, I've already just referred to, she died in a car accident. So there was no warning, no, no uh, catharsis, no uh, you know, closure, no nothing. And so to me, I've always, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but I've always thought that that's a great benefit to being able to say goodbye properly. And Krautheimer certainly did that in his final column. But boy, the timing really sucks. And I wrote a column about why the timing really sucks. Because while he's being mourned now, he's going to be really missed once the Mueller investigation is done. And I go into great detail as to why he was in a unique position, had he lived, to potentially have a great influence over how the Mueller investigation is perceived. Because, follow my logic here, the only way anything happens to Trump is if the Republican base at least fractures over whatever it is that Mueller finds. Let's pretend Mueller finds some really damaging stuff with some really strong evidence. It's quite possible. Don't know for sure that's going to happen. Quite possible. For the Republican base to fracture, something is going to have to happen at Fox News Channel. If Fox News Channel maintains the all-hands-on-deck, we're totally state-run media— No ill words about Donald Trump are really allowed, except by liberals who we're going to destroy. As long as that maintains itself, the Republican base and the Republican uh, representation in Congress is not going to fracture. It will remain 100% intact. For Fox News Channel to fracture, for there to be that first hole in the dam, if you will— Somebody of great respect, of gravitas, who's a clear conservative, who the audience relates to and trusts, is going to have to say, enough is enough. This is really bad. This guy cannot remain in office. Our way of life, our system of government demands it. Something to that effect. The only person with both the stature as well as the makeup to potentially do that was Charles Krauthammer. He was it. He's gone now. So that's not going to happen. And I'm not saying he could have on, on his own changed things, but he could have had a really significant influence. If only, by the way internally at Fox News Channel, because this is the way the world works. and People don't give this enough credit, and I've seen this happen in my personal life so often, so often, in, and in stories I've covered, where everyone thinks their own little piece doesn't really mean that much. What they don't understand is the way human behavior works. Every little piece means a ton, because let's pretend that I'm right about You know, how the Mueller investigation goes down and that Krauthammer being a guy who's very smart and not really caring about what people think about him that much and being anti-Trump. And he came out strongly in favor of Mueller. As much respect as Krauthammer had at Fox News Channel, that makes it very difficult for not the Sean Hannitys. I mean, he's a fucking asshole. I mean, it's, there's nothing to do about Sean Hannity, and Tucker Carlson's totally sold out, and Laura ingram has gone too. But, but I'm talking about the other people, the Britt Humes, uh, you know, Chris Wallace, uh, Shepard Smith, uh, uh, Brett Baer, who obviously reveres uh, Charles Krauthammer. Those people now, it would be much. Much easier for them, should they have the inclination to follow his lead. He would create cover. He would create cover. It's kind of like in a war, in any other war. Crowdhammer would have created cover for a bunch of other people who had the inclination to follow that lead. Now there's no one creating cover. And now they're all just going to go lockstep. And Britt Hume would have been the most logical guy to step into Krautheimer's place, a guy who my mother, by the way, used to adore almost as much as Ronald Reagan. And I thought, wow, a couple weeks ago, Britt Hume blocked me on Twitter. (laughs) And here's why he blocked me on Twitter. I rather benignly compared his defense of Trump to that of an O.J. Simpson attorney. There was nothing completely, you know, nothing inappropriate. It was harsh, but it wasn't out of line. And he blocked me. I thought, wow, my mother... well, first of all, my mother would be baffled as to what the hell Twitter is. But but my mother would have been really disappointed in that because uh, Brent Hume's a guy who I also really used to like, and I'm more baffled by his sellout to Trump than maybe anybody because he's basically retired, so I don't even know what he's selling out for. But he has sold out almost completely to Trump, so he's not going to fill the role that Charles Krauthammer would have played. And I don't want to you know, reduce Charles Krauthammer's life to you know what would have happened with Mueller. I'm just I'm just taking this mourning over his death, which is 100% warranted, and I'm relating it to a very practical situation where he's going to be very very badly missed. And why I am convinced, I am increasingly convinced that nothing's going to happen to Trump regardless of what Mueller finds. I have friends of mine who vehemently disagree with me. In fact, I got bet this week. <laughs> I got bet this week by. A person who, if you knew who this was, it would really send shockwaves through a large portion of the conservative media. But there's a person I know who who works at a very pro-Trump media outlet who is exceedingly anti-Trump. And they have been saying for a long time, Mueller's going to get Trump. And I said, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So we this week, we bet dinner on it. I even posed the question on Twitter. I think it was it was incredibly split right down the middle as to who people thought were going to win the, the bet. But um, I am now even more certain with the death of Krautheimer that I will win that bet. And in that same vein, and it's, it's almost like God is fucking with us. Uh, not only have we lost Charles Krautheimer, we're about to lose John McCain. And John McCain is the, about the only guy in the Senate who would have the balls and the gravitas and the stature to say, no, this is this is not acceptable, and it's highly unlikely he's going to be around in a way that can make a difference once the Mueller investigation is over with. So everything is working in Trump's favor, and again, it's, it's like the devil is in control. Um, somewhat similar, talking about demises, although hopefully no death will be involved. A lot of uh, publicity this weekend over Glenn Beck for two very different reasons, although they were related— uh, the Daily Beast did a uh, article yesterday about Glenn Beck's media empire imploding again. Uh, we did a very uh, interesting, I think, the best interview done with Glenn on the subject uh, last year, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com or via Mediaite if you just Google it. But Glenn did an interview on this podcast, which I am very proud of, where we discussed the problems at the Blaze and how his position on Trump had greatly damaged the company's profitability and where they were going to go for uh, go to from there, where they were heading. And apparently things have gotten worse. Uh, now, this this hit me on a personal level, <laughs> one, because I've gotten to know Glenn pretty decently. Um, and, you know, thank you for a conservative actually standing and 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 speaking for principles. Right. So that, that's Glenn. Talk about me. I've been on the show many times. You probably also remember this one. Uh John Ziegler. I, I think he's fantastic. What a what an interesting mind he has. So we we've communicated um, on and off the air quite a bit. And when he put on the Make America Great Again red hat, I was rather stunned and and emailed with him about that back and forth and kind of understood the position a bit better. Uh actually was on his show while he was on vacation the next week and um and further explained my Confusion and a little bit of opposition, although understanding of what he was doing. Anyways, what I can now tell you, since it appears as if that news has become public, is that at this time period, and I've already alluded to this, um, that Glenn had wanted to run a version of my Newsweek story about the Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky case that got blown up at the last minute. He wanted to run it on the blaze, but he and he he was very complimentary. Uh, he said, "You know, you've done an amazing." I don't think he said this direct, directly, but this is the, effectively what he said: is that you've done this amazing job. You've really convinced a lot of people. Uh, I had to convince others uh, here at the Blaze, but now we're all on board and we're really excited about this. We want to publish this, but I want to wait until our merger is done. Now it's pretty clear from what's been reported this weekend and what's been reported prior that he was referring to a merger with Ben Shapiro's daily wire. And he said that to me that he expected that to be done shortly when he got back from vacation. And then that after that we could talk about when we would run this. And I thought at the time, okay, I, I I didn't really, I, I thought something would go wrong. Um, I wasn't sure what, because frankly, anything that can possibly go wrong <laughs> with regard to the Penn State Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky case will go wrong. That that's another situation where the devil definitely appears to be in total control. But I, I I felt like it was weird to me. The whole sequence of events was weird. He puts on the red "Make America Great Again" cap, and he goes on vacation. Now I thought that was odd I, I, from a strategic standpoint. I'm not talking about the decision to put on the red hat. I I disagreed with that and told him as such. But if you're going to do that, talking from a purely strategery standpoint, I thought it was odd to do that on a Friday and then go on vacation. Especially when he just told me that he thought that the merger was going to be finalized when he got back. I don't pretend to know any of the details here, but that just felt like an odd sequence of events. And according to the Daily Beast, there's a reason why I haven't heard anything about a merger or anything about The Blaze publishing the story, because it now appears as if that merger is dead and that the the people who own Ben Shapiro's website are no longer interested in buying The Blaze, Today, Glenn Beck went on CNN on Brian Seltzer's media uh, show, Reliable Sources, I guess. Is Is that what it's called? Whatever it is. It's uh, the CNN media uh, show. And he walked out on the interview when Seltzer asked him about the reports in the Daily Beast of layoffs at the Blaze and, uh, you know, the idea that the the Blaze is imploding. Now, I don't like Brian Seltzer because um, he was supposed to be on this podcast. He agreed to be on this podcast. And we had a date. We had a time. And the morning that we were going to do it, I got contacted by a CNN spokeshole saying that something had come up and uh, he couldn't do the interview. And then I never even got a follow-up. Like, sorry, we couldn't do it, or we can't do it, or we can reschedule. Nothing. And I thought that was total bullshit. And it was obvious. I mean, it's way worse than never agreeing to the interview to begin with, because I had planned on doing it and had to make alternative plans. And plus, it was obvious that he they had just whimped out. It became really obvious that CNN wimped out when Jake Tapper, who's a lot bigger deal than Ryan Seltzer, also agreed to do this podcast, put me in touch with, I think it was a different CNN spokeshole, and they... Put the kibosh on the interview before we even got it scheduled, which I know Jake wanted to do. So clearly CNN's got a problem with me for whatever reason. Uh, and so I don't like steltzer and it was kind of bullshit for seltzer to, to throw that uh, question in. Although Glenn should have expected it. I mean, that's, I mean, Glenn knows what he's doing. He, he's not naive, although he can sometimes be naive but he's not generally naive. He knows how the way the the news media works. And there had just been the day before this rather large story about the blaze going down in flames. So the idea that he was surprised to be asked about it seems a bit odd. I I don't think it was contrived looking at it, because I don't know that that's the way he would have handled it if he contrived it, although who knows? Because he just said, you know, have a good day, sir. And and left the, the interview. I don't know that it's done further damage to him. Uh, it's not the way I would have handled it. But the bottom line is, <laughs> it's clear that something is very wrong at the blaze. And it's pretty clear that the the, B, the Daily Beast story must be true, or at least mostly true. And that therefore the, the merger is dead. And by the way, that means that the, the my story is dead, which... I guess gives me finally some closure on that whole thing, uh, even though I never believed that that was ever going to amount to anything anyway. Uh, but it's just another of many, 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 many very, very sad, devastating chapters for me personally in all this. But I'm actually more concerned about Glenn because I, I, I care about him. I want what's best for him. I think he's shown some courage during this whole ordeal. And it, it would be really sad if, if this thing all did end up uh, you know blowing up or burning to the ground. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it all looks like going forward uh, except it's it's not good and uh, and I don't know I, 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 if I had any more insight on this or any more information, I would provide it. I just I'm just letting you know that it's clear to me that Glenn overestimated the certitude of that merger. And that kind of goes to his, I do think it is a bit of a naivete, that he think you know, his worldview is that he thinks that good will win out, I think, most of the time, not always, and that uh, he tends to try to be as optimistic as possible. Well, something happened. What I'd love to know is, did the putting on the Make America Great Again hat have anything to do with the merger going under? That, to me, is the fascinating question. And we'll probably know, never have the answer to that. If if, uh, if Glenn ever decides to do this podcast again, I'll ask him. But the timing is certainly interesting. And my theory on that, if it did have anything to do with it, it would be that when he did that, it wasn't just that he was kind of confusing his audience and, and going back on his principles a little bit, or at least appearing to be. But what was most amazing was it didn't really make that big of a splash. Like, I kind of expected Glenn Beck putting on the Make America Great Again hat and, and saying he's going to vote for Trump in 2020 proudly to make a bigger splash from a media perspective. Which, by the way, had he asked me, and he did not, nor would I I would have been surprised if he had, if he was asking for my advice from a strategy standpoint... That's why you don't do that the Friday before you go on vacation. If you're gonna do that, you you do it more strategic, strategically, or to use the made up George Bush word, strategery. Uh, th- to me, that didn't make any sense, uh, and I don't. It felt very hasty. So I I feel my gut tells me there's a connection in all of that. That there's a connection between the the red hat and the merger collapsing. I just don't know exactly how. But I do wish Glenn and everyone at the Blaze the best because they've been very good to me. Last um, thing I want to mention before this hour is up. Uh, I, the U.S. Open occurred uh, last weekend. Uh, as I told you, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson were not going to win. They're done in majors except maybe the British Open because the circumstances of the British Open are different But I ended up writing a column about what happened, largely about Phil Mickelson. And I want you to check it out because it's way beyond what's important about golf. To me, it goes to what kind of society we're now living in, where we're basically, and Donald Trump is a big part of this, we're basically living in a a two-class society, celebrities and non-celebrities. You know, part of what made America great to begin with was the idea— and it was probably never true, but at least in some ways it was true, and in golf it used to be true, that everybody was treated the same way, regardless of who you are, how rich you are, how famous you are, who you know. Well, even in golf, that's not the case anymore. Because Phil Mickelson did something that was so outrageous, you know, so... It's just flat out ridiculous. ...that he should have been disqualified. He purposely hit a moving putt, and then came up with an explanation about it that was both a lie and also an indication he had broken the rules. And anybody who knows anything about the rules of golf knows it. I mean, he, I mean, he, he created such a breach that the the analogy I use is it was as if he was a Santa Claus on live television in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and he took down his beard and took a big swig of whiskey and said Santa Claus is fake uh, in the middle of millions and millions of children. That's that's what a big a breach of golf rules and etiquette he committed. And he was not disqualified simply because he's Phil Mickelson. He didn't apologize for days later. He had his wife say give some sort of bs somewhat of apology he actually kind of mocked the whole thing the next day after he was not disqualified and this disqualification by the way is important not just from a principal standpoint as if principles matter anymore but there are people who finished behind him who deserved more money and more ranking points because he shouldn't have been in the tournament after he got disqualified, and all of this was incredibly similar to a 2013 situation that occurred with Tiger Woods at Augusta National, where he broke the rules, should have been disqualified, implicated himself in a post-round press conference where his ego got the best of him, which is exactly what happened with Phil Mickelson, and Augusta National looked the other way and said, no, we're not going to disqualify Tiger, and the U.S. Open did the same with Phil Mickelson. So all that was very depressing and disgusting, and I wrote about it for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Please make sure, please make sure you check out and share our two interviews from this podcast. Hour number two, former Republican congressman and talk show host Joe Walsh. Hour number three, Paul Campos, professor at the University of Colorado with a blockbuster theory that I believe to be true that would indicate that the biggest scandal of Donald Trump's presidency has never really truly been reported. That's an hour number three. As always, ask only two things of you. Make sure that, uh, number one, you share this uh, podcast via Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. (laughs) Performance bedding? (laughs) Yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. (laughs) Well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. SleepCoolNow.com 1212